Hey there, howdy. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for telling a friend that you hang out on the other side of Texas. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson. Welcome to the program. Queen Catherine sitting across the board, working her way in. Working your way. It's your dad's media empire. (laughs) <laughs> and now you're working the boards on the other side of Texas. I'm getting there. Yeah, you are getting there. Lots of places to go today, but one request that I've gotten, and I'm going to heed the request because for some reason we had a problem at the station where Buddy Holly became famous. And I mean that, like right across the wall from me is where Buddy, and people come in all the time, especially people from out of the country. To, to tour the studio we have the original equipment it's a really cool setup but i've had a lot of people ask me to to do my monologue again about transportation funding in texas it you know i said this and i'll say it over and over again there's no level of government i would argue to you that there's no level of government whether that be municipal county state or federal of those four state government impacts your life more day-to-day than anything else and transportation funding is something that really grinds my gears i did a little ditty about it a while back but for some reason the tower the wind had bent the tower or there were gremlins in the computers or i don't know what was going on but we weren't able to get it onto the podcast so for posterity's sake i'll go through it again now I grew up, like, in my 20s, I had a an a authentic Barry Goldwater, a Goldwater Miller bumper sticker on my truck, and was, and, well, I'd say was, still am, but was particularly then, well-versed in Ayn Rand, W.F. Buckley, you may call him William Buckley, but whenever you're as close to him as I am, you can call him W.F., Buckley and Milton Friedman. I mean, I had that right there in my glove compartment. And I began to learn a great deal about conservatism, was really engulfed with it. And anybody who goes back and reads my old university, now it's the Daily Toreador, but it used to be University Daily. Uh, whenever I wrote there, really ultra, I guess would be the word that you would use, ultra conservative. Then I grew up, but part of that was business experience and how things really work but the other part was that i'm a methodist and i went on an academic tract seminary and i began to read john wesley and lots of people are like leeson where are you on this where you're well i just read too much john wesley and if you ever go read john wesley's standard 52 sermons what you walk away from that with is that, and I'm getting back to transportation, but first we're going to talk about the man who rode his horse. I think, uh, how many times did John Wesley ride his horse around the world? Like the sort, And that was just in England. But the, the total amount of miles he took on a horse, we'll have to effort that over the break. We'll look for that, Queen Catherine. How many times John Wesley, right. how many miles John Wesley rode his horse? But whenever you get into Wesleyanism, and, you know, the Church of Nazarene, the Methodists, all based on Wesleyan theology, is you begin to understand that personal holiness is social holiness. And that to say that social responsibility is a part of personal responsibility. And that begins to inform your politics. And to those who are not in their heads, I would also say there's no way to separate. Like, you, can, you cannot make the state house the church house. But there's no way to divorce religious thought from philosophical thought as it forms into political thought. But that's a whole other whole other monologue. So let me get back to transportation for just a second. You gotta look out for where you live. And that's why I call myself a West Texican. Some people call me a West Texacrat, whatever. I ain't running. It's all good. But I do look out for what's around me. And you'll hear that coming up with Four Price as we get into the opioid crisis. Uh, Four Price, state representative out of Amarillo. And then Garnett Coleman, who's out of Houston, he'll be with us. And what Representative Coleman's going to talk to us about today on the program as we talk about the opioid crisis is how it's impacting 
the foster care system, a broken, already broken foster care system in Texas. And these things pique my interest because I think and I believe that we have to be responsible for the neighborhood and the expanded, whether that's your particular part of town or that's your entire community or that's your region or if it's that if it's your state and so that to say i used to have a very individualized understanding of conservatism but the older i get conservative like you're my kind of conservative if you believe that the root derivative of conservative is to conserve that we're going to conserve something for posterity and that's what i think conservatism means is that we want to conserve tradition we want to conserve place on into posterity so if you're on board with that okay if you aren't just give me a chance hear me out so back to so into this transportation thing recently a state representative out of Carrollton, texas ron simmons I've invited them. I will invite them again because I'm not the guy who sits on the radio and just badgers a guy. I let him have his his hearing, but no response yet. Ron Simmons did an interview recently with Texas Insider, which is you know a conservative, may not be my style of conservative, but a conservative newsletter. And Simmons made the argument that. The vast majority of Texas lives in very few places, with which I would concur. DFW, Austin, San Antonio, Houston, El Paso, that's where where he said 70% plus of the population lives. And that there's tremendous congestion in these issues. And I drove to Nacogdoches a couple of weeks ago, and the toughest stint was on I-20, as I went around Dallas and even that was congested at the time that I went through it and I just thought I can't believe that people live here and deal with this kind of traffic and while I was there I was able to sit down with Senator Robert Nichols who knows a thing or maybe a million about transportation policy in Texas and these folks can get funding for a highway or three toll roads and that's all the controversy over here you don't need a toll road to get to La Mesa I don't know if you've driven to La Mesa lately or to Morton or to Hell Center. Like you don't need a toll road. But if you're going from Carrollton to another place, I can understand why you would, you know, I talked to a staffer last week about transportation, a Texas legislature staffer, and he said, I would kill right now. Like I would literally kill and face the consequences of penal punishment if I had a toll road right now. And I can certainly understand that. Even Ross Ramsey last week on the program said Look, we made a decision, he and his wife made a decision to move within, I think he said within 15 minutes of the Texas Tribune, executive editor of Texas Tribune, Ross Ramsey, and they absorbed a whole lot of property costs in doing that because Ross was tired of being in a car for an hour and a half a day, which in Lubbock, you just can't imagine that. But in other places, and I'm sure that in Hell Center, those mighty owls can't imagine it either. But anyhow... Simmons went on to say that tremendous conge- there are tremendous congestion issues in these areas and that we can't solve the problems of large metro areas with the ideas of how we used to manage rural Texas roads. Putting money, we need to put money where the needs are and that, quote, we can't allocate money any longer based on what some influential politicians want. And here's the kicker. Need drives where the money goes so let's have a conversation about that right now on the other side of texas who defines need that's my first question i mean who's defining need at that point is need some of the most dangerous roads in texas which are rural roads is is need the need to repave roads by which the Texas miracle occurred and now we have some 10 billion dollars in our rainy day fund in Texas much of that owing to the miracle as well as the corporations that were brought in with quote unquote whenever you do it in rural locations it's called subsidies whenever you bring companies in like to replace the Levi plant the Levi jeans plant in Littlefield and put in a milk 
powder operation well that's that's a subsidy but whenever you recruit amazon to some big texas but metropolitan area well that's an incentive okay but that that in itself is a whole other conversation but who defines need that's the number one question and number two is since we're talking about balancing urban abdication by political leaders over the last decade urban transportation by state politicians over the last decade where does the money come from and it's going to come from and on the backs of rural folks west of i-35 primarily and then up in to far north texas over into east texas and then into south and southeast texas that's who's going to balance the books and you know i mentioned the rainy day fund that we have worn out roads here like the until they expanded it it was a suicide trip to drive from lubbock to uh to midland i believe it's 349 uh, I mean, and even now, you can't take 349 without busting your windshield with a rock. Because there's so much traffic on there. But this is the other argument I would make to you, is that whenever the next legislature comes up and the governor says, well, we want 2.5% caps, but we're going to exempt all these rural counties to try to buy in support from these from these rural lawmakers... Well, guess what? This is another instance. This argument by Simmons is another instance of why a lot of rural folks will just stay on the sidelines and not engage because the costs of political stunts that stick it to urban folks are, in the end, paid for by rural folks, mostly because the consequences to these policies are guided by the most malleable substance on earth, and that substance is a politician's will because whenever push comes to shove they're going to buckle just like they're trying to buckle right now and and that's no way to go and so whenever you see a bunch of rural folks who are offered to be carved out still say no thanks in the next legislature and i'll be amongst them it's because it's only a matter of time before their will buckles and we wind up paying the note Go deal with urban roads. Do it with rainy day if you need to. Get it done. But don't go into this sort of political gesturing. Like in Lubbock right now, what people don't understand is that the the whole county race, all the races at the county, the one defining issue was Woodrow Road in front of Cooper High School, which is Lubbock Cooper, which is the third fastest growing high school in the state. That was the issue, the underlying issue. And if you can't see it, you need to understand that Charles Perry, the senator, can't get that road done down in Austin. So it's incumbent upon the county commissioners to do it. Well, look at the upheaval, some of that doing to pay raises. But by and large, he needs some other ways to do it. So he's going to get it done through the county commissioner's court. Bob Duncan got a road some 20 years ago done between friendship and the high school four lanes and did it through duncan's political competency in austin and that's how that thing went so that's my little grinding my gears on transportation funding and i'll leave it there for now for price is a four-term state representative from amarillo he is the pride of potter county chairman Price leads the House Committee on Public Health, which has jurisdiction over all matters pertaining to protection of public health. For Price, welcome on. Hey, thanks, Jay. I appreciate the invitation. Nice to uh, nice to join you this afternoon. Well, always good for you to come on. This has been your first time on in the new format, right? It is. Like it we is. were West Texas Drive, went to the other side of Texas, and and here you are. Um, so you chair the newly created well i say newly you must be thinking wow this has gone on a long time karen as well uh the house select committee on opioids and substance abuse you have a report that's due on november 1 to the house for why don't you lots of people hear opioids and they think like oxycontin they think hydrocodone codeine morphine 
whenever you tell people what the terms opioid what the term opioids means how do you describe it well there's there's certainly lots of varieties of opioids uh, drugs that are derivative derivatives of opiates you know like Vicodin even some of the uh, oxycontin hydrocodone some of those very commonly prescribed drugs but uh, there, there's a whole, you know, host of drugs that are sort of encompassed by the term opioid, and so, you know, it's not just an illicit drug. Um, often, it's a prescription that has been legally obtained and then either illicitly used or not used to its fullest extent, and it becomes an addictive uh, um, problem for the person or someone in that family who received the prescription. So. When we talk about opioids, we're really talking about a huge grouping of, of uh, drugs, and that can include uh, some forms of, of heroin and other illicit drugs as well. So I want to get into whatever you can divulge about findings in your committee so far. I mean, how much time a week are you putting on this? For well, there's, there's work being done on this every single day. Now, we've had two hearings. We started our hearings in March, and then we had a hearing last week. We'll continue to have hearings all the way through the summer into the early fall so that we have time to prepare a thorough report, as you mentioned, uh, by the uh, November deadline. But what we're learning is, um, you know, statistically, we're hearing a lot of information right now about how broad the crisis is in Texas. And so nearly eight of every 100 Texans have a substance use disorder. And what we know is that those substance use disorders are the leading contributor to children entering child protective services, almost two-thirds of all cases in 2016. We know that drug overdoses are the leading cause of maternal deaths in Texas, most of which are due to illicit drugs, including illicit use of opioids. Mm-hmm. Then we have unmet costs, like uh, substance use disorders in our ERs that extend above $350 million uh, per wow. year. And in is Texas, that across the entire state? That is across in, the entire state. Does that include the, county and nonprofit and for-profit hospitals, or is that just county hospitals? No, it's it's all of the above. But I think the indirect cost exceeds that. It goes into the billions. You know, coast to coast, it's over five hundred billion dollars in indirect cost wow. for the crisis. Now in Texas, obviously, it's it's smaller than that. But the deaths, the thing that I thought was most alarming was once we started studying this in our committee we realized that in texas alone opioid involved overdose deaths increased 400 percent from 1999 to 2015 and so it's costing taxpayers it's costing individuals obviously you know ruining lives and, and unnecessary deaths and and i really do applaud the speaker for you know identifying this as an issue and saying Let's let's as a state take steps to uh, you know mitigate and alleviate some of the crises we're seeing coast to coast before it gets you know uh, any worse in Texas. Well, based upon what you I saw a stat today that said that seventy percent there's been a seventy percent increase just between two thousand sixteen and two thousand seventeen a seventy percent increase in opioid overdoses in the Midwest. Based upon what you've seen is is that stat valid in Texas? I don't think Texas is as in poor a shape as some of the states in the Midwest and some uh, down in, uh, like, for instance, the East Coast. New Hampshire has had a real uh, difficulty. I think uh, you, you come inland and West Virginia has been, you know, often cited as a, yeah. a state in poor in condition. Ohio. In Ohio, but, but Illinois, can, some of these but states in the Midwest have had that, real difficulties. But we aren't statistically in as bad a shape but we are going to get there if we don't take some steps you know proactively to uh, eliminate some of the problems that they have faced and chairman i was interrupting you there interjecting though you strongly drove past me and i really i appreciate that (laughs) but i was going to say we aren't as as bad a shape yet because those have been lingering issues there in appalachia and and off to the west of appalachia but uh the the crisis so far as i understand hasn't been as as bad in texas but it hasn't lingered as long as it hasn't in other places yeah that's 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 probably a good way to put it and something i think you'll find interesting since i know you focus on rural issues um on this show we had testimony at our first hearing there was a national study outlining the 25 worst cities uh in the country 
with regard to overdose deaths and, and overprescribing, and, mm-hmm. you know, there were a lot of data that went into that. But they this study identified four Texas cities in the top 25. Wow. One of them was Amarillo, one of them was Longview, one of them was Odessa, and the other was Texarkana. Wow. Now, those are four cities that are, you know, not what I would call, you know, necessarily urban, and three of those four cities are located geographically near uh, a neighboring state. So, you know, one of the things we're going to focus on is preventing bad prescribers' practices with ensuring a strong PMP, but we're also going to try to eliminate some doctor shopping, bad patient practices, too, because I... I, you know, anecdotally, you just got to think that there are people picking up prescriptions in different states, and if those states aren't talking to one another, um, it makes it easier to abuse the system and abuse those drugs. And Texarkana, Longview, and Amarillo, and which other one? Odessa. Odessa. Wow. So, I want to I want to get into the repercussions here, but I just want to ask you politically, Chairman Price. This must be a pretty difficult issue whenever you get into, because essentially what you're going to begin to do is take on big pharma. You're going to take on big pharmacies, uh, big pharmacy producers, but you've also got to stand in line, in not stand in line, but you're also got to advocate for your county hospitals that are absorbing the costs from big pharmacy. What's that like as you deal with it to the extent that you want to get on to, into that on public radio? Well, I radio. don't necessarily frame it quite that way or see it quite that way. I mean, obviously there is a a need for the appropriate use of opioids for both long-term uh, care for folks who maybe have cancer or in the last stages of their life, mm-hmm. hospice care, that kind of thing. And then there's also pain management uh, needs. So you know, first of all, I don't want to give the impression that we are just against all use of, of some of these, you know, pharmaceutical products because we're not as a committee at all. But we definitely want to, you know, eliminate or, you know, do everything we can to stop the, the problem that exists from getting worse. And I think there's things that we can do. We're already identifying some strategies that are going to put us in a position to make strong recommendations in the fall prior to the 86th session. And again, I mean, I'm sure that that not all, you know, big pharma is going to love our recommendations. I'm sure not all uh, prescribers or patients will love our recommendations because if you really study these issues, there's a shared level of responsibility up and down that spectrum from the manufacturers to the prescribers to the distributors, you know, to the uh, patients themselves. So I, I'm, you know, I look at it, you know, it's it's sort of apolitical in a sense because it doesn't matter what part of the state you're in, what party you belong to, or what your economic status is. This is an issue that's affecting Texans in every part of the state. For Price joining us here, other side of Texas, about uh, three minutes left in this segment, but I've got two um, two roadside bombs to throw at you here for. Um <laughs> First of all, an addict is someone who, at least in my view, is someone who at one time made an addicting decision. And you may not concur with that, but the question there is, where does personal responsibility lie in all this? Because I see a lot of folks that are pointing fingers at big pharma, big pharmaceuticals, but where's? it seems like we have the same problem with the cartel at the border, at what point do we assume responsibility in communities for these kinds of uh, epidemics? Well, there's absolutely a level of personal responsibility, no question, but some of these addictions to opioids are a little different than some of the other, for instance, illicit drugs. They are so addictive. You know, we've got, we've heard testimony from from multiple sources about how the CDC guidelines now are, are limiting the days of prescriptions under most cases to anywhere from, from seven days or less um, for these drugs because after three to five days, in some cases, um, they're so addictive that folks who are legitimately receiving prescriptions can become addicted to them. So, you know, it's, it's a little different than, um, you know, an addict to an illicit drug who they're obtaining on, you know, uh, on the black market in illicit ways, uh, and they've totally, you know, um, kind of gone over to the dark side, so to speak. I mean, I think there are folks who are legitimately taking drugs that they've been legally prescribed for pain management, for instance, who become addicted and then have a hard time, you know, um, 
you know, dealing with that. And so uh, I think we have to treat that, but we also have to do a good job of increasing our prevention programs and education, our network of professionals, and uh, reducing the inappropriate supply that's out there. I think up until now, uh, you know, in the last few years, a lot of folks didn't know how to dispose of this. So it sat idle in medicine cabinets and things of that nature, and then it was used to self-medicate or family members took it or it was sold, you know, on the street. So we need to do a better job in some of these areas just to just to make some common sense decisions that will affect us, I think, positively statewide. Well, we're going to get into more of that coming up is the ranking member on your uh, public health committee, Garnet Coleman, be joining us uh, here momentarily. But one of the last things I want to get into with you, Chairman Price, is lawsuits. And, uh, you know, I think back in October, I don't think I know, Upshur County became the first county in the state to sue uh, Big Pharma. And it seems to me that whenever you talk about unmet costs in Texas at $350 million, a lot of that would be counties absorbing that cost through health care and county hospitals. What Will your report provide guidance to counties on lawsuits? And what's your general advice whenever surely you're getting calls? If, if what county folks tell me is any indication with lawyers coming, essentially ambulance chasing, what's your advice to county officials on lawsuits? Well, and I should say contextually, the state got $15 billion out of tobacco. And surely there's something coming. What's your stance in all this? What's your advice? Well, we're, we've got a, a set of charges that the speaker has identified and, and instructed us to follow with respect to our committee's work. Mm-hmm. None of those charges, you know, instruct us to study litigation or give give guidance with respect to litigation and I know a number of counties statewide have have uh, joined in lawsuits against certain manufacturers because of unmet costs now whether those are successful or not is really totally separate and apart from what we're doing we do not plan to you know weigh in on that litigation we're going to we're going to follow the charged uh, instructions that we received you know to the letter we're going to make our recommendations um, I really think that, that counties, you know, have to evaluate that for themselves because different counties are certainly, uh, out of all 254, there's there's a lot of differences between, you know, what costs are out there. Now, the $350 million I've referenced was what we heard in testimony. Those are just ER costs. Mm. So some of those, yes, are absolutely falling on. Any you know, idea, any idea in your Potter County what those costs are? I don't know county by county what those costs are, okay. and in in some respects, we probably don't know with certainty what what those are because uh, opioids are often, you know, when somebody overdoses, for instance, uh, sometimes it's not alone. They may be combining that drug with a benzodiazepine or a muscle relaxer, and that's often very very dangerous to an individual because mm-hmm. it shuts down the respiratory system, and that's where. Um, that's where folks end up in the hospital and sometimes even die. Wow. So all this, um, all this you know, big language. On, you really uh, are the chairman of public health. Well, we're getting we're we're making some <laughs> progress, and I think uh, we're finding out a lot of information about how dangerous these are. And I really, I really believe that in Texas, while we may not statistically um, have as big a problem as some of these other states, it is a huge problem, and we will we will make some good headway. Chairman Ford Price. So while we got you, as we close out, uh, any announcements you'd like to make while you're on air with us? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm. Uh, you don't think so? Or I've may, got maybe my head we got down working hard on on the five committees that I'm uh, involved with right now, and that's uh, that's keeping me quite busy. Okay. Well, you just let me know. Just I will know. do that. He is Ford Price. You can hear this up on our Apple iTunes and other side of Texas. Thank you for making time, Ford Price. Jay, I appreciate it. Anytime. Keep up the good work. State Representative Garnet Coleman has served the people of Texas House District 147 way down in Houston continuously since 1991. He is currently the senior ranking member of the Public Health Committee as well as chairman of County Affairs Committee. A good guy to know if you live in the other side of Texas. Put your hands together for Garnet Coleman. How are you, Representative Coleman? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, really glad that you would come on. Hey, can I ask you a personal question? 
Sure. It just started off this way because we're going to get into some heavy stuff. But, you know, I was Googling a picture to put up on uh, our social media, and uh, someone else was looking, and and uh, you've lost a lot of weight. I've lost a lot of weight. I'm I'm uh, approximately 75 to 65 to 75 pounds lighter than I was uh about four years ago. Look at you, and that was your big play to become the ranking member on public health committee. Yeah, that <laughs> was that part of the deal. Had to, well, but... you know, it's called years. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, since since I've been in the legislature now, this is my twenty seventh year. Uh-huh. I, uh, I I call this my skinny time in the legislature, at, at least from the uh, at least the. From the first year, I was skinny. Yeah. Now, but, then I got fat. And but uh, all and those suits, like I hear you, I hear you, Representative Coleman, because I lost last fall to now. I lost fifty pounds. Well, sure. I gained about oh, eight of it back. Okay, so that's what the scales say. But your tailor, my tailor, that's the place to be. Like they make a killing whenever we decide we're going to lose some weight. I couldn't wear any of my suits. I. Got them cut down. Then I had to go buy all new ones. Man, so at, at at one point, it just you ate it twice. Anymore. You ate yes. it two times. Dad, come. Okay, so I wanted to find somebody who could really. And, and Chairman Price was just on. Great job, but Great somebody guy. somebody who has really uh, been outspoken on this particular issue and can talk about it with a great deal of competency so far as its impact across the state and how and this is what i really want to get in with you garnett coleman is how taxpayers cannot afford not to address this issue okay so let's talk about the opioid crisis on state agencies in particular cps and the already fledgling foster care system well First of all, in Texas, two-thirds or more of the children who are in foster care, uh, one of the factors is substance abuse. Let me say that again, two-thirds. Some people believe it's as high as 80%. And so if we look at our foster care system, which driving the population is the increase in, in substance abuse from, from what, for whatever reason. But we know that, particularly in rural areas, the opioid crisis as well as the meth crisis uh, that continues uh, is increasing that number. So, for example, in Region 1, where you are, uh, the number of children that are uh, that have been removed, the average has gone from 68% in uh, FY15 to 67, uh, 67% in FY16, but it's now 70% in FY17. Hmm. Uh, also, if we look at the per capita removals of children, uh, the per capita rate in Region 1 is 2.45%. Uh, in the state, it's 1.5%. Wow. Uh, in FY16, it's 2.97%. In the state, it's 1.68%. And, and uh, the state it's 1.8% in FY17 and 4% uh, per 1,000 children uh, in FY17 in Region 1. So it, it shows that there is a disparity of, of uh, both substance abuse and substance abuse removals uh, in rural Texas and particularly in Region 1 where it is the highest uh, of any other area in Texas for counties under a thousand in total thousand hundred thousand in total population hmm. so so we have a problem uh and i i think it goes without saying when the speaker uh appointed uh chairman price to chair the select committee on opioids and substance use disorder as he had appointed him to be the uh mental health the chair of the mental health uh, select committee you know, these are, are issues that, that do affect agencies. They also affect the economy in the area where that is occurring. Uh, and, and so we see the ripple effect of uh, increases in, in substance abuse. Uh, and, and clearly, uh, those, those percentage increases are, are real and, uh, and have an impact on families, 
uh, in the community. Garnet Coleman joining us here. As you look at, of course, you chair county affairs. When was this, when did you first think this opioid thing's a problem? Like, what day, I'm not asking for a specific day, but how long ago did it click in your head, this is a problem? Uh, the In 2016, uh, we were doing hearings on the the crisis in CPS. It seemed to have a lot of crises, but, but CPS was a problem. <laughs> yeah. And everybody knew it was a problem, but we were looking at the structural problem. And I, we looked at that, too, as, as county affairs. But it, it began to dawn on me that, that something was different, and there was a reason why we had more kids in the system. Uh, and the structural problem, you know, how many uh, investigators and, and, and that, you know, was clear to everybody. Mm-hmm. But... It just seemed to me that there was just some issue. So I asked uh, in one of the hearings, it just kept hitting me, hitting me, hitting me. And I, so I asked DPS, I mean uh, DFPS, to, to look at the numbers. And they came back with two-thirds of the children that are in our system are there with substance abuse as a factor. Uh, so this was in, in 2016, the latter part of 2016. So in our report that we wrote on the on the foster care issue on foster care issues, uh, our recommendation as the county affairs committee was uh, to look at the what we call the 21st century cures dollars the, that uh, were in the bill that John Cornyn did, uh, along with working with President Obama. So we get 27 million dollars for that but also looking at the dollars that we had from the federal government uh, that we spend uh, for uh, substance abuse prevention and treatment and figuring out how to move that money to target uh, families whose children are either at risk of going into foster care or in foster care in order to uh, get them off of these horrible drugs. So I put a rider in the, it's called, it's an amendment to the appropriations bill uh, to direct that money to target uh, those those families. Uh, and looking at the new money that has just been appropriated by the federal government, about $1.6 billion, making sure that that money gets, so we solve two problems at one time. One, uh, we get people healthy and off of drugs, and two, uh, we prevent children from going into the foster care system by treating uh, their parents and treating them if they need it. Okay, so let me uh, ask you this, Representative yeah. Coleman. Today, and this is just a weird quirk. I mentioned Methodism in the in my opening monologue. But we believe in such a thing as prevenient grace, just God doing something that you didn't know was going to happen. But I don't mean to get theological all of a sudden. I wanted to lay out that today I get this phone call and I guess it was a telemarketer. It's crazy. They mask, they'll call you, but mask you with another uh, cell phone number. And so mm-hmm. I got a call, and I called the woman back, and she said her name, and I said, well, I'm Jane Leeson. You called me. And she said, um, no, I didn't call you. And I said, you know what? We just got hoodwinked. Somebody's masking your number and making calls. And I'm not crazy, Representative Coleman, in mentioning this because she said well I have a state cell phone and so of course it wouldn't be I wouldn't use it like that and I said well I'm not accusing you and I said uh, who, who do you work for with the state and she said CPS and I said oh I've got four price on I've got Garnett Coleman on these guys who know a thing or 50 about CPS can I ask you a question and I asked her how many of your caseloads have to do with meth or with opioids and she said 85 percent and i said wow i said how many cases do you think you've handled over the years she said she's been with them for six years how many caseloads of those caseloads how many rehabilitated homes have you had in your six years she said there have been thousands of caseloads and i've only returned one child one child home and i said why what is it what's in the background there she said these parents 
mostly are low income or they're middle class and their insurance won't cover rehabilitation costs. And I'm telling you that story to ask you this, Garnett Coleman. For them to be in situations where there's not rehabilitation access, how much are Texas taxpayers eating on this situation? And I, I mean, how much are we being bamboozled here by having these these caseloads out are people maxed out at the state level dealing with situations that can't be rectified because of accessibility and because insurance declines such rehabilitation well millions of dollars uh and that's why we have to have millions like tens or hundreds hundreds of millions hundreds hundreds of millions wow and that's the reason why it's very important both on the state level and on the federal level, that we fill the gap. Uh, we can't wait for somebody to say, oh, now we're going to cover uh, substance abuse. We have to fill the gap to, to keep the cycle of children moving into foster care, moving maybe back temporarily to their families, and then back into foster care if we don't uh, get folks off of these drugs. And we have ways of doing it. Uh, and and that's what's so important. We do have ways of doing it, but it's not a cheap endeavor. I mean, it's nationwide. It's not a cheap endeavor, and in Texas, it's not. But we can't walk away from our population. I think I really do believe we 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 meaning me and others missed it. Um, I think that what's happening, particularly in blue collar and rural areas across the the country, we missed it. Uh, people are committing suicide. People are dying because of of, of fentanyl mixed in with with opioids. Uh, we have children who, again, are sleeping in offices or whatever the case may be. Uh, we have them picking up drugs and dying uh, because of of ingesting drugs that are around the house. Uh, this is too much of a, a, a it's too dangerous for our circumstance, and it's only getting worse. And if we don't get in the middle of it. Now Texas will be like Ohio, hmm. uh, wow. and 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 Ohio is ground zero uh, for this because of the closing of plants, uh, the lack of opportunity, uh, uh, children following their parents into the plant and then having no job. So even if somebody did have health insurance and it didn't cover it, these are people now have no jobs. So of course they have no health insurance. Sometimes businesses. I know that we do this. You put up prohibitive. Uh, expenditures so that you're you don't you may put out a hundred dollars in order to save two hundred dollars i'll contextualize that covenant health in lubbock covenant hospital right now is building rural hospitals and clinics i should say rural clinics in spending you know i think the number i remember hearing was a hundred million dollars for clinics in areas outside of lubbock in order to stop the absorption of uh patients that work against their cost uh, against their own ledgers in that you know why why bring them into lubbock uh, medevac them or bring them in by ambulance seven days into the flu when you could have treated them in a rural clinic at day two because no it's, doubt about it's, it. it's very uh, costly to fact, absorb that cost of it. Hold on one second. I want to contextualize yes. this. I mentioned I get off on this rabbit trail of Covenant and the great work they're doing. To say, what will you, Garnett Coleman, bring up after November 1, after this report is issued uh, through the committee? What will you say to your fellow legislators, and many of them red, and some of them suburban red, and say, we have got to put forward these programs in order to uh, quit absorbing the unmet costs that we are hit, getting hit with now? What are some of those programs? How much will they, how much will they cost? Well, so, first of all, uh, we need to increase the amount of dollars for those uh, outpatient clinics, is what we'll call them, but let's just call it uh, primary care, uh, and have those clinics also deal with substance use disorder uh, and opioids and mental health in an integrated way, so that those services are where the people are because those services can prevent tertiary need or somebody having to go to the hospital uh, on life flight. Uh, as a matter of fact, 
that is the best way to deal with things up front, but it has to be available. Now, what's interesting is in Nueces County, down by Corpus Christi, their hospital district is now engaging in behavioral health. Usually it's the MHMRA hmm. uh, or that engages in behavioral health. They've started funding behavioral health, which would include uh, substance use disorder. So because of the what's called the 1115 transformation waiver, we still have dollars to deal with this, at least in the near term, in the next couple of years or so. But we have to look at how to continue to fund this prevention or intervention on the outpatient basis or there on an outpatient basis once somebody does, is hospitalized for whatever reason. And that's the way we're going to decrease the cost overall. We also, in terms of uh, have to use, at least in opioids, we have to use the medications that actually help people kick the habit with opioids. Uh, when it comes to meth and when it comes to crack and when it comes to other highly addicting, uh, addictive drugs, uh, what we have to do is go into um, the, the kind of kick that we normally see, and that's like 30-day treatment, 60-day treatment, uh, in order to get people off the drug so that they can get back into, with counseling, uh, a, a, a real life. And that's what I hope comes out of this this study. Also, there's another thing that I think is extremely important. In some areas, and in, uh, fortunately in, in that area, there are some places that have family drug courts. Now, why is that important? Well, a family drug court usually catches the parent before the children are removed. So it's an intervention before uh, CPS is called, and, and then that individual is moved to, to treatment uh, then. And uh, talking to experts around the country and others, we had a symposium down in Houston, that's one of the best ways, but the state needs to fund additional family drug courts, particularly in uh, rural areas because uh, we have them in urban areas funded by the county because we raise more money but we don't have them in rural areas where they're sorely needed because of the the crisis in rural areas and this is what will get families into treatment and help that CPS uh, worker with her challenge which is getting people well. Uh, Garnet Coleman got you for about another 90 seconds here but I've heard you I mean, you are out of Houston. It's really impressive for me up on the Caprock to hear uh, a very urban member talk in, in so cogently and competently about rural uh, needs. Uh, do you believe that what's happening in rural can come into urban? Uh, yes, of course I do. Yeah. We already are seeing that in the Northeast. We're seeing increases among all populations in the use of uh, heroin, which will lead to hep C, HIV infections, uh, hurt our public health, and that's everywhere. But yes, when somebody's selling black tar heroin because the people can't get OxyContin anymore, they don't care who they sell it to. Hmm. They have a, they, they want a market, and they're pushing, as we call them pushers, they're pushing on everyone because now uh, to expand that market beyond the people who were addicted to OxyContin. He is going to. So, yes. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. We're gonna we're gonna have to leave for now, but hope that you'll come back again, Garnet Coleman. Of course. And I appreciate you having me on. I, I do care greatly about rural Texas. Uh, Speaker Pete Laney taught me that, <laughs> uh, and we miss him as as uh, as a part of the legislature. But uh, it, it I, I'm a rural urban member, and I believe that that uh, everyone counts. Uh, and rural need rural Texas needs us as much or more than urban Texas. All right, vote your district. Look out for us yep. too, Garnett Coleman. Thank you so much. All right, All right thank you. I, I asked that last question. Uh, question, listen to me. That last question to Garnett Coleman about you know in Lubbock, I always make this case, and I think it's true with a lot of more metropolitan areas in within rural regions is um, there is no cattle guard gate around the big cities. And the problems out in the rural counties will begin to come into the cities, and vice versa, to be fair. 
But whenever you look up and you say we've got this epidemic, and then it, lots of times it's too late. And that could be ag trade wars that we're going to get into next week. And it can be a whole lot of things. And it just becomes incumbent upon cities like Lubbock and like Amarillo, Wichita Falls to another extent, and Abilene and, and San Angelo to be the leaders within their region and to look beyond their region and look beyond that that particular community's own self-interest and know that there's a greater interest at play i saw today a video on on facebook no it was on breitbart texas had a great story of a group of like 30 feral hogs running through a suburban community if that's not proof that you cannot keep the problems out in the rural countryside out of the cities uh, those feral hogs stomping through an upper end uh, suburban neighborhood uh, I should say running through an upper end suburban neighborhood proved the point and the same thing true with opioids you got thoughts on this program send them along to us maybe you have some stories some testimonials uh, show at othersideoftexas.com that's show at othersideoftexas.com coming up on Wednesday Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Tex Tribune, will be in with us. And then Matt Dotre, for those in Lubbock who are looking at the Auditorium Coliseum and what their vote should be and are still on the fence about it, Matt Dotre is going to come in and he's going to answer all of our questions. I've not made up my mind. If you've not made up your mind, listen in and we'll hear Matt out and get both sides of it and begin to sift through it. And I've seen all these memes on Facebook in Lubbock about how it's the same thing as the Astrodome. And I don't know if that's true or not. But rather than sit around up on the Caprock and be an expert about the Astrodome, I thought, why not just have in Craig Lavity, who's a reporter who's covered the renovation, demolition, controversy surrounding the Astrodome. They eventually went towards renovation, some $125 million towards the Astrodome. And uh, get in with Lavity and hear what he has to say on it. On Friday, Brandon Darby be in studio, and we'll bring a bag of tricks with us there with Darby. We're on Facebook, Other Side of Texas, on Facebook, on Twitter, at OSTX show audio from today and everything else there at othersideoftexas.com and with that said i gotta go home now gotta get home would stay longer but i have an above average supper we still call it supper and a great family waiting until next time thank you for tuning in and thanks for telling a friend that you hang out on the other side of texas we'll see you manana